The betting and gaming industry's revenue reached over 15.1 billion in the year to March 2023. Or, if you exclude the national lottery, we're talking about just nearly 11 million. Figures that are from the Gambling Commission released last year. Although the profit of such an industry is no doubt high, it does raise several questions. Who pays a price for such a profit? And at what cost? Does the sector protect vulnerable communities who are deemed at risk of being left penniless as the state has to pick up the tab of mental health and financial consequences? Welcome to Debt Talk Podcast. With me, your host, Ripon Ray. I'm going to talk about, no doubt, gambling and debt. To navigate the topic, I have representatives of academia and gambling therapy to address some of these questions. I have Professor John McLeany from Bournemouth University. He and his team have been carrying out extensive research in the gambling sector. He's also a chartered psychologist. I have Cathy Wade from GamCare, who manages the money guidance team within its service. She has also worked in the advice sector, such as Citizens Advice. My guest will also provide you with top tips on the subject to help listeners near the end of the podcast. If you want to share your experience on the Debt Talk podcast or want to listen to a subject of your choice, you can get in touch with me on Twitter, yourdoctordebt, or email me, ripon.ray at yourdoctordebt.com. Before I get deep into the subject, let me get Professor McLeany into the conversation. Professor McLeany, since you have been researching into the gambling sector, can you explain to a novice like me, what do we mean by gambling? And what is the meaning of gambling? Is it a sport or is it something else? Hello, Ripon. Uh, it's a very good question and one which is not as straightforward as it feels it should be. So gambling is used to very broadly refer to when you risk money or anything of value to try to predict the outcome of a game or an event that involves chance. Quite often uh, within that, betting is used uh, to refer to gambling in the sports context or when there's some degree of skill involved. So, so the lottery, for example, could be considered gambling. Uh, playing poker could be considered to be betting or similar horse racing because there's some knowledge and skill involved. In reality, though, these phrases are often used very interchangeably and it can be difficult sometimes to know exactly what definition is being used. So in terms of the market share, what are the different types of gambling are there in the UK? So often in the UK, we, we think of things in terms of offline and online gambling, or what's often called land-based, kind of in-person, face-to-face. Uh, there's a range of different activities. Uh, the lottery um, is one of the one, one of the big ones, although it has a kind of unusual status. Um, although, it, although it is gambling, it's, oft, it's often treated separate to other kinds of gambling. Um, you also get things, of course, like, like scratch cars, like sports betting on horse races, football, sporting events, uh, casino games, uh, things like poker, uh, fruit and slot machines, which again can be uh, offline or, on, or online. Uh, and one of the things we, we've seen in, in the last few years, with perhaps in, in some part fueled by a pandemic, is for the first time uh, some types of online gambling have now exceeded offline gambling. So it seems as if a trend is becoming that the online gambling is becoming more of a, a regular occurrence. 
Uh, and it's a fairly common activity. I think one thing gambling uh, companies often uh, are keen to stress is the majority of people who gamble do so in a safe and responsible way. Um, and as a fairly normal activity, so about 44% of the adult population uh, in the UK will have gambled in the last four weeks, although that does include the lottery. And all of those, just under third, uh, 27%, uh, will have gambled uh, in, 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 in person with a slightly um, similar figure uh, gambling online in the last four weeks. So if we have to break down the data who take part in gambling in the UK by age, sex or any other categories, what do we see happening on the ground? So you get quite a lot of variation with, uh, between, with age and gender uh, based on the type of gambling. So with uh, uh, sports betting, for example, so this is betting on, on horse races, uh, football events, um, 6% of, of the UK population uh, will have done that within the last four weeks. But within that, uh, that's, that's split between 10% male and 1% female. Uh, you also get age differences. So people who are over 65, for instance, are less likely to engage in, in sports betting. Uh, people who are younger um, are more likely to have engaged in things like fruit and uh, 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 slot machines. Um, and also people who are kind of perhaps in a kind of middle age age or, or younger to middle age, like 25 to 44 year olds, are also more likely to engage in online uh, gambling. So it really, we, we use gambling as a very broad umbrella term, but it can really vary depending on the, on the exact demographic uh, of, of the person. Looking at it from the perspective of psychology, what drives an individual to gambling in the first place? I mean, gambling is a very prevalent activity. It's something which, is, which surrounds us constantly. Um, again, through things like the, the lottery, uh, gambling is, is in some ways a very a very normal behaviour. It's become the norm to be involved in uh, gambling. Um, there's lots of adverts on TV. There's lots of things, adverts on bus stations trying, trying to uh, um, uh, encourage you to engage in gambling. So people get involved in these things because it seemed to be a social norm. Increasingly, one thing I really noticed, especially with uh, things like bingo adverts on TV, they really sell the socialisation aspect. You know, when the whole advert is around play friends and kind of make connections. They, they barely mention bingo as a product until the very last second of, of that advert. And I think, again, with the, with the pandemic taking place, people, um, you know, became quite isolated. They came to rely on online uh, connections more. Uh, and so these kind of kind of socialisation of gambling, um, I think, is potentially quite a risky thing because people might use it as a way to, to, to socialise. There's also uh, the way that gambling can be introduced to people from a very, very young age. So there's a lot of debate around, around loot boxes uh, in games. Uh, there's questions around... Our loot box is gambling. Um, to me, they are. You're paying money for a random outcome. It's the definition of gambling. Uh, you also get things like uh, within some video games. So within uh, Grand Theft Auto, for example, there's a casino within the game that people can play. And I know games companies would say that well, the games aren't meant for anyone under the age of 18. But I think we all realise in reality that people under 18 may access these games anyway. So people are being introduced uh, very kind of early on. And once people do start playing those games, there's a lot of, of reinforcement takes place. So if you just watch someone playing a fruit machine, for example, and they put their money in and, and, and they pull the lever, if they don't win, nothing really happens. If they do win, there's bells and whistles and flashing lights, and a lot of kind of positive reinforcement. So people, I think, get into this behaviour um, just because it's a, it's a fairly common thing to do. But then uh, a minority of them uh, become uh, addicted to that, that behaviour. What has been the shift into the pattern of gambling? Uh, because we've obviously we are seeing changes in technology. So, whilst we have changes of technology, what's the behavioural change have we seen? 
So really, online has been the biggest thing. Uh, it's happened to gambling. Um, and one of the one of the current conversations is reflecting the fact that the last uh, piece of gambling legislation, the, the Gambling Act 2005, came out before smartphones came around. So a lot of the legislation we have is, is really uh, out of date now. So with the online gambling, it's it's twenty four seven. You can access it constantly. Um, you know, back before with the internet, people were, there were limitations. You know, the betting shop would close at a certain time each day. There was a limit to how much people could. Uh, engage with, with these things. One of the problems, uh, but also an opportunity from online, um, is that the data that's generated by someone gambling online can be extensive. And gambling companies are very good at using that data. So we, we do the machine learning, we do the algorithms, we work out exactly when people are playing, we, we work out when to send someone a promotion or an advert, you know, at the exact time it's going to increase the chance of that person betting more. At the same time, though, we can use this technology in positive ways. So if you're doing a prevention campaign or some kind of uh, education or, or awareness thing, you can use the same technology to really uh, much more quickly and efficiently identify someone who might be having a problem through the player data and send them personalised, intelligent messaging. That doesn't happen to the extent that it could do because this involves the um, participation of gambling uh, companies, which can be a challenge. Uh, but there's potentially a lot, a lot of uh, it can be done there uh, around these, these things. And there's also a slightly added problem or an added challenge. Uh, online gambling also makes black market gambling much more uh, easy for people to access. So people gambling on sites outside of the UK or outside of UK regulation, where there might not be the same, the same protections that we get for using a, a licensed uh, UK gambling website. Where does the regulator come into the picture and what are its powers? So gambling in the UK is regulated by the Gambling Commission uh, on behalf uh, of what is now the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. They have various powers. Uh, they, they issue licences for, for gambling operators. They can revoke a licence if an operator has behaved in a way which is deemed to be uh, inappropriate. Uh, they can issue fines. They can investigate and prosecute uh, illegal gambling activities. Um, there has been debate and discussion around how well the Commission do these things and should they have more power, should they have less power. And this reflects the uh, white paper which, which came out last year around uh, changes to, to gambling uh, legislation. Um, some, some of the kind of suggestions around that are, are basically giving extra powers to the Gambling Commission, um, especially for things like regulation of the black market operators, uh, reviewing um, the kind of bonuses and, and promotional offers that uh, gambling companies use, um, possibly setting up an almost meant to deal with disputes. So when a company is deemed not to have um, use sufficient player protection for for gambling harms. So there's a you know there's a regulation in place, but it can it has been at, at times criticised. And I suppose you could say that the gambling commission uh, they are not themselves setting up the rules; they are just enforcing them. So more broadly, regulation in, in the UK comes from the uh, government. In terms of I guess influencing the regulator and uh, regulator working with other sectors and stakeholders, how does that work? So one thing I'd say about, about the gambling space um, is it's a very a very busy one. Uh, there are a lot of gambling companies. Um, there are a lot of, of charities and organisations uh, who are involved in the kind of gambling space. So there's a, a range of opinions, um, but there's also, I think, people in government who are very open to, to, to discussions around the idea of potential gambling harms and how to, how to address those. Uh, given that government do, do set the agenda and do, do set the uh, regulations, I think any change has to come through government. So 
through engaging with, with policy makers, through holding events. Um, I know I know Gamcare and other charities do a lot of kind of uh, work around, around promoting um, safer gambling strategies and identifying problems in the uh, uh, current system. So it's really, it's, I think it's again a kind of uh, social issue. It's really a case of of, of, uh, of um, campaigning uh, to the government as to what needs to be done to, to make things better. Um, we've noticed that from the perspective of debt and advice sector, vulnerability and vulnerable clients have been spoken about a great deal. From the perspective of the gambling sector, how do we define problem gamblers? It's a, it's a tricky one. Um, quite often, uh, a measure called the PGSI is used. It's, it's, a, it's the Problem Gambling Severity Index. So it's a questionnaire you fill in, and if you get above a certain score, uh, you're deemed to be uh, a problem gambler. Um, it, it has some benefits. Um, it, it allows comparison of data. So it's a, it's a measure that's used in lots of national surveys across the world. So it lets you compare from one year to another, it lets you compare between countries, you know, try to get a sense of, kind of how uh, big a, um, a problem this is. I think a criticism is that it's often slightly overused. So it's often used in a very kind of categorical way. Either you're, you're a problem gambler or not, depending what score you get on this. And as a psychologist, I would say that these kind of measures were never intended to be used as the sole thing that defines if someone has a problem. It's something that you use as a tool to help you kind of decide what this person's situation is and if they need help. So the PGSI is widely used, but has been criticised maybe being a little bit oversimplistic for being uh, not um, perhaps as sensitive as it could be, for not really appreciating the individual circumstances of that person. Um, but yeah, I think it, I think it, it can it can be useful. One of the one of the challenges uh, with with gambling is that um, it's often referred to as the hidden addiction. So people people can gamble and have a gambling problem, and it's 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 often easier to hide that than say if someone has uh, an alcohol problem or a drug problem. You know, those around them can often observe that fairly uh, early on. Gambling people can hide it perfectly, um, especially with uh, on online gambling. If someone's you know doing it on their phone, they can. You could have a, a very serious gambling problem and, and be losing thousands of pounds, but your family, people who live in the same house with them, might be completely uh, unaware um, because people can mask these things. And often that's where you, you start to get very severe consequences. So people, you know, remortgage your house, for example, or they steal money from an employer and people are just unaware. Um, so another criticism that's sometimes made about, about the use of the uh, PGSI and of all the kind of gambling fact and figures in general is it seems likely that they are an underestimation of a problem. Trying to figure out how much of an underestimation is really challenging, but I think I think most people would, would probably suspect that, yeah, it's probably a bigger issue than we really tend to realise. And finally, Professor McLeany, um, since the odds are against gamblers, are we not all vulnerable to losses? I would say absolutely. Um, uh, again, there's a, a trend. I think people tend to think that things won't happen to them. They think they're immune uh, from these problems. I would say I think anyone who gambles is at risk of becoming or developing uh, a gambling problem. There's the uh, cliche in gambling that the, the uh, house always wins, and it's true. Gambling companies survive because they make profit. They make profit because they are more likely to keep your money than they have to give some to you. So I think anyone, um, especially you know, with the cost of living crisis, with these things that are happening, I think anyone's vulnerable to 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 you know, they, they gamble, they win some money, makes them feel good, makes it might solve some of their immediate financial problems. It's very easy then for it to go down that pathway where it becomes uh, a problem behaviour. Thank you, Professor McLeany. Um, let me go to Cathy Wade from Gamcare. Cathy, um, we have a 
impoverished communities that are gambling with their benefits, money or housing benefit income to support their gambling and leaving their homes vulnerable. What do we what do you see as some of the main issues facing clients who access the money advice guidance service who are struggling with their debts? Thanks, Ripon. So we assist people who are gambling themselves, um, as well as friends and families who are affected by gambling. So we will help anyone. Um, some of the challenges that they face can differ. Um, and we do see people who are receiving benefits as well as those that are working. I know you mentioned people receiving benefits. We do assist those who are working and struggling as well. Um, so for those who are gambling themselves, we do find that a lot of them will gamble because they think it's the solution to the problem if they've got debt. Um, or money issues. Um, sometimes we speak to people who are living in poor housing conditions and they quite often say that they think gambling's their only way to get better housing. Um, also, there are some who might be struggling with their debts and they think that a big win's going to be the solution. So they think, you know, big win, they're going to clear all their debts. Um, but obviously, they can end up losing and getting into deeper difficulties. Um we do also speak sometimes speak to clients who say that they gamble because they think they don't have enough money to pay all their debts and their expenses. Um, and they they tell us that they believe that that's the only way they can manage financially. Um, although sometimes we do speak to people who do have deficit budgets for some of them. Um, sometimes when we've worked through the budget with a client, um, a lot of them find that they can actually afford all their expenses and they can even afford the contractual monthly payments for their debts. And it's actually the gambling that's causing the problem. And that can be a real surprise for people. Um, it can be more about them getting their gambling spends under control. That's what they need to do rather than, um, you know, using the gambling as a as a solution. Um, we do also see a lot of clients, though, who can't afford their debts, even when they've we've done their budget, Um and we would always refer those or signpost them on for debt advice services because we're not authorised at GAMCARE to give debt advice ourselves. Um, for those who are affected by gambling, so, for example, friends or family members, um, they'll often not realise the problem until the situation's got really serious. As John said, uh, gambling is a real hidden addiction. Um, so, yeah, it can get quite to a serious stage before anyone else realises. Um, so we see these people where, for example, again, as as John mentioned, um, it may be that the partner hasn't been paying the rent or the mortgage or other bills. Um, they could have run up large debts in their own names. We do also see where a lot of times where they've run up debts in the partner's name as well. Um, sometimes that's with their knowledge. Sometimes it's without their knowledge. So obviously that can be a real shock for them. Um, by the time they reach out for support, they might have been facing repossession of their property. They could be threatened with court actions with other debts. Um, and we do often see clients who don't have any access for food or enough to pay um, enough money to top up their gas or electricity. And quite often they're sort of two or three weeks before they get paid either their benefits or their salary. Um, quite often people will pretty much gamble all their salaries as they get it, all their benefits as they get it, and then they're left with weeks without any money. So, yeah, pretty serious situations that we see people in. You just talked about how you support individuals who are gambling or their partners and family members. What is the rationale behind providing such support to those who are affected by gambling? 
Yeah, so um, we offer a range of services to both those experiencing gambling harm themselves, as I said, and, and affected others, as we call them, people affected by um, gambling. So the rationale really is to provide a holistic service to our clients. So we, we provide a whole range of services. And I can tell you about a few of those that might be useful for people. So we run the National Gambling Helpline. Um, so we provide information, advice and support um, to anyone. And that, again, is for uh, someone who's gambling or anyone affected um, by it. Um, it's a 24-hour um, helpline. So it's a free phone number. So anyone can call and speak to an advisor 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Um, just to give a call out on that number if anyone wants it, it's 0808 Um, We've got online chat rooms, um, and we've actually do a, um, a themed money chat room um, from 6 till 7 every Wednesday, so people can just come online um, and chat to us about any money issues they've got. Um, as I said, people can go, anyone can go to GAMCARE to find the details. We do also provide one-to-one -one support. Um, so we've got regional treatment services. Um, we're part of the National Gambling Support Network. So we provide one-to-one -one sessions for clients. And that's where they can speak about um, their own gambling behaviours. Again, that's for like anyone affected by gambling so they can get support as well. And that's really about either helping people to take control of their gambling or for the anyone affected by gambling to protect themselves and to support the person who's gambling. Um, we've got the money guidance service, which was set up in 2022. So we offer one-to-one -one support with budgeting um, and finances for people who are experiencing gambling harms. Um, anyone can get referred into the service through helpline or through our regional services as well. Um, and one of the unique things I think about the money guidance service at gum care is that we work really closely with the practitioners so we can do really joined up work. So when we work on the budget, for example, uh, with the client's consent, we can share that with the practitioner so then they can embed that in the work that they're doing, um, the support they're giving as well. But going back to the types of people you uh, support um, and the research that GAMCARE has carried out. Uh, what reasons uh, have you found beh behind people's gambling and what have you identified from people who come to seek support from you? Yeah, so people, again, sort of going on a little bit from what John has said, people do gamble for a range of different reasons. Um, <clears throat> so people might, um, you know, some people tell us that they start very young. Um, so they tell us that they might have started at an early age. Um, and it could have even been something like when they visited a sea the seaside as a child and visited the arcades, um, you know, that could have kind of triggered an interest in gambling. Um, others might have started in their teens, so perhaps when they went to college or university. Um, it might have been when they got a student loan, so they suddenly had a large amount of money. Um, sometimes people say it was like started as a social thing, so they might have had a bet on the football when they were out with friends, um, and then it can escalate. So it might start off with a small bet, um, and, but then things can escalate quite quickly. So a lot of people say that their gambling became more problematic when they had the first big win. Um, so they might have gone on and lost. You know, they've got the, the big win, so they get the buzz from that, but then they go on and lose. And then they'll continue to try and chase their losses to have that big win again.
harmful gambling can be caused by dopamine in the brain um, and that can cause a real rush and a buzz and it's quite often the anticipation of possibly winning rather than the actual winning itself that causes people to get that buzz um, and we do also speak to clients who say that they started gambling because perhaps of a bereavement or another trauma in their lives and then they use co gambling as a coping mechanism as well. How do you help family members with their challenges? Yeah, so um, as I said, anyone affected by someone else's gambling can access all the services I mentioned above. Um, they can uh, get access to the one-to-one -one support for our treatment services and money guidance service. We support people um, who are affected by someone else's gambling as well. Um, and they can also access support through things like our women's programme. Um, so we've got a, a thing called Way Forward, which supports uh, women who are affected others, like who are affected by gambling, um, and our youth programme, criminal justice programme. Um, when we speak to people affected by gambling, um, we can support them with how to support the person who's experiencing the gambling harm, but also how to protect their own finances. Um, so as I said, sometimes it may be that the gambler is taking credit out in the person's name or, you know, they, they may not have access to the account. So we'll support them in taking control. Um, we do also have a fact sheet available on our website that's specifically for people affected by someone else's gambling um so people can access that fact sheet on our website if they want to as well um it's called keeping your finances safe and finally kathy how does gamcare work with the debt advice industry to support people who gamble and have problem with gambling yeah so we do work closely with the debt advice um debt advice organizations um particularly organizations like national debt lines citizens advice pay plans debt change um we've got referral pathways set up with some of them as well so we can do those direct referrals um we're also involved with national groups such as the money advice liaison group money advice trust advice uk um the institute of money advisors um and that's through both the Money Guidance Service and also our Gambling Related Financial Harms Project. And as I said, we do also provide free training to the debt advice sector through our Gambling Awareness Prevention Project. Lovely. Thank you, Cathy. For those who are listening to Debt Talk podcast and want to share your experience or want to listen to a specific debt-related subject, you can get in touch with me on X, formerly Twitter, Your Doctor Debt, or you can email me, Ripon dot ray at your .com. let me speak to my panelists about them providing debt talk listeners with top tips in dealing with this month's topic gambling and debt since regulators businesses and voluntary sectors may be listening to this podcast so let me start with professor mclaney so one thing I'd say is the, the gambling industry, I think, has become better at providing um, safer gambling tools, especially for online gambling. Uh, so these are things like uh, deposit limits, so which limits how much money you can you can bet or, or gamble uh, in any particular time time period, or maybe there's a delay of some kind before you can you can bet again. Um, and I'll, I'll say all the main UK operators now now have these features uh, enabled. Um, and I would encourage people to use these things before we feel we have to, because prevention is better than cure. So don't wait until you feel you might have a problem. You know, start using these tools to get set limits uh, fairly early on. Uh, if it is online gambling, uh, what, again, one benefit is that you can see your gambling history really easily in your player account. And people often will be a bit surprised, actually. They'll realise that they have gambled more than they thought they had. So just that kind of self-awareness, kind of self-monitoring uh, of, of your own behaviour can be 
uh, really quite quite powerful. Overall, though, uh, my, my strong recommendation, um, if anyone feels uh, they are having problems uh, with a gambling, is uh, to take advantage of the very uh, comprehensive support services provided by GamCare, which I'm sure Cathy can talk about more. Well, there we go. And finally, Cathy Wade from GamCare. Thank you. Thanks for that call out as well, John. Yeah, so um, I suppose it's just to say if you're concerned about your own or anyone else's gambling, please, please reach out and get support. Um, as I said, people can call the National Gambling Helpline or go to our website and get more information about what support's available. Um, help's there. We're not going to judge anyone in any way. You know, we just want to make sure that we get people the support they need. Um, and if anyone's struggling with debts, please do reach out and get debt advice as soon as possible. Um, you know, understand it can be a bit scary and it can be hard, um, but the sooner you reach out for help, the better. And I suppose for any organisations listening to this, um, you know, if you're working with anyone who's got a gambling, concerns about their gambling, please do some signpost and we'll refer them over to GamCare. Well, I want to thank my panel members for giving their precious time to share the experience and knowledge on Debt Talk podcast. My next uh, podcast is going to be on local government finance, tax and debt. Thank you for listening to Debt Talk podcast with me, your host, Ripon Ray.